0: I like these these events. I like these film and th- film and theology uh, you know evenings. Um, I loved it when uh, we did them last summer. I really enjoy um, being able to learn and maybe even just get a tiny glimpse at how to look at what is really our our modern literature. We treat it that way at least you know movies are are a form of literature in a way they 're pop culture literature, however you want to look at it. I like that I think it 's cool and it 's cool for us to be able to. Learn how to look at them uh, critically, especially as Christians. Um, Raising up your raising up kids or being able to engage friends and peers and whatnot uh, in a more thoughtful way, and I think it's helpful. So uh, tonight we're watching Tron Legacy. If you didn't know, sorry if you came for something else. Uh, There was an ad there if you didn't see it. For uh, I think it's the next time we're doing um, Iron Man. If you didn't see that, this movie. If you don't know. Tron Legacy is a sequel. It picks up right where the last one left off, and the last one was uh, came out in 1982, so it's kind of a large gap, kind of Indiana Jones-like, with ju- big jumps from one flick to the next. Um, the first Tron, you really can't talk about this one without getting at, at least referencing the first one. Um, had a lot of neon scenery, and in many ways, it was sort of cutting-edge computer technology with a little bit of you know computer graphics and um, In one way, in one sense, it was kind of anti-communist. And in in some ways, it actually was sort of pro-Christian with its very simplistic um, philosophy or look at religion. Um, You know, you have a computer world's creator coming incarnate into a society where the collective sought to eradicate any belief in him in order to control his creation. That's fairly pro-Christian. Theatrically, the film was actually quite a massive failure. A lot of people don't realize that. The reason why it it got a little bit of success after the fact was the video game came out, and the video game was huge. And it also, um, uniquely enough, it actually brought in um, it actually outgrossed the uh, the original film release. Yeah, um, all the live. There's a couple cool facts I like about the first one. We'll talk about this and the second one here in a sec. <clears throat> all of the live action scenes. Inside the computer world, which in both in both flicks is the majority of the film, in the first one, all the live action scenes were filmed in black and white. And then they went back and rotoscoped them and added in the sort of neon color. Everyone had a standardized kind of color for them. I thought that was kind of cool. I, just, I learned that myself when I was checking this out. Like a lot of Disney films, there's a hidden Mickey Mouse in the first one, uh, many, uh, as well as many of the characters' names this is common with Disney. Um, a lot of the characters' names in the film are uh, references or homages to people from within the genre that the film is about, this one being about computer programming. A lot of the founders or sort of the fathers to computer programming and programming languages. A lot of the names and terms within the first Tron are names from some of those people in, in the real world, so I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, for inspiration, when they were filming the first one, Disney actually had uh, several computer, uh, excuse me, video game consoles set up throughout the set, um, you know, just like you'd see it in an arcade, not unlike um, what were in the film at Flynn's Arcade. Um, and uh, funny enough, Jeff Bridges got so addicted to playing some of the video games that he would often have to be yelled at by uh, directors and producers to get back to work on set, because he'd be so engrossed in what he was playing. Um, for me, I think one of the most special things about the first Tron is you hear you have a, a new new film that comes out. Parents take their 10-year-old boy to go see a Disney film, and for the very first time, they didn't have a clue what it was about. Parents, that is. This film is, in a way, kind of geared directly to this unique new thing that is video games, and only the kid, kids really get it. And I thought that was kind of cool. So don't miss, don't miss little things like that. Um, so, Tron Legacy, like I said before, it picks, picks up right where the last one left off. The uh, 82 Tron was, like I said, plainly, very simplistically, Judeo-Christian, spiritually speaking. But Tron Legacy, the one we're watching tonight, its theology is significantly more complex. Uh, and I, I would say it's more of a huge blending of the world's religions. Uh, I'm not saying yay or nay, I'm just saying it is. Um, we can find decent amounts of biblical parallels throughout, but we can also find very... Very clearly, pagan ideals trickled within as well. Overall, this film—I think it has uh, amazing special effects. Uh, I think it has a great script. That's very subjective opinion, of course. Um, I like the writing in this film. Um, I I think it does a good job of combining it and taking it further from the sort of the ethos of the first Tron. But I would say that the acting is decent. And what I mean by that is it's not over the board mediocre. I think there's some that some of the some of the actors do really great. And a couple kind of bring it down. <laughs> and that's just my opinion. Because um, I'm trying to look at it critically, just like, just like you should as well. I get ex- I'm excited about the hype of the, fi- of the film. Um, my kids love it. Uh, we own it. It's, it's exciting. And I can, I can enjoy the film as a whole and yet still <laughs> not care for a, a character or two. Um, Steven Leisberger, he's the creator and the producer of the original Tron. He was kept on board by Disney for Tron Legacy. But he was mostly just there for reference. He was there as a producer for reference and continuity. So there were times when the writing and the creation that they wanted there to be a consistency with the overall picture of the first one, and that's the way he was able to contribute. This film was Joseph Kaczynski's directorial debut. You think of a film of this magnitude that that Disney clearly put a ton of money behind. I think it's actually quite surprising that they would permit it to be some guy's directorial debut. In fact, if you go to imdb.com, the Internet Movie Database... And you look up this, the director of this film He has two credits to his name And it's the film he's working on now After Tron is the second one I think that's kind of funny it's for, It seems a little unorthodox for someone like Disney uh, And the actors, you've got Jeff Bridges There's only two actors that were in the first and the second Jeff Bridges is one of them He returns as Kevin Flynn and Clue Two separate characters And Bruce Boxleitner As Alan Bradley and Tron uh, a couple. Uh, We've got one fairly new guy He was new to me, uh, Garrett Headland. He plays Kevin Flynn's uh, now grown son, Sam Flynn He's been around a little bit I was surprised to find out He was in Friday Night Lights He was in the more recent um, version of Troy uh, And he was in Aragon, which surprised me Because I'd seen that and I didn't remember him But he's a Minnesota boy And um, oddly enough, he wasn't even born until uh, two years After the first Tron came out um, in my opinion, he's actually the poorest character in the film. <laughs> That's just me. Olivia Wilde is sort of one of the other main characters. She kind of rounds it out. She also is just a mere kid, born in the 80s, same, same year that uh, <laughs> that Garrett was born. Uh, you've, you've more than likely seen her around if you watch television. She's been in two pretty popular programs, The O.C., and she's in The House currently. And she's in a new film getting ready to come out Called Cowboys and Aliens I actually think Olivia Wilde's contribution More than makes up for Garrett's underperformance I think she doesn't just balance him out I think she did such a good job That she um, in, in many ways kind of outshined him um, Before this film I only knew her from, from House um, But I thought she did, she did a good job um, there's this, I want a little special side note You'll see a guy in there that you'll recognize maybe He isn't even credited in the film It's uh, Cillian Murphy he played Scarecrow in the recent Batmans. Um, Decent-sized decent role in the two, the two most recent Batman films. Uh, and you'd think a guy of that caliber would, would have a credit. Um, and, and uniquely enough, his, the, the character that he's playing is, is not just an unnamed guy. He's playing Edward Dillinger II. And if you know Tron 1, the 82 Tron, Edward Dillinger was the antagonist. He was the bad guy. And to, to think of this guy as the son of that guy, you'd think it'd be relevant. I think they're doing that, um, opening up a door for a probable s- sequel or something like that down the road. That's my opinion. Uh, another uh, thing that's kind of interesting, you've got Daft Punk, this electronica, uh, Europe, sort of a European sound electronica band. They did all the soundtrack for this film. And I thought it was pretty cool. They appear as themselves, which kind of is qualified, um, because they always walk around in jumpsuits and helmets and stuff. So. You know, you have to like go to the internet to find actual real pictures of these guys. But it's this duo, that duo, this electronic music. They appear as themselves actually in the film in their get-up because they just fit. Uh, at the End of Line Club, if you haven't seen it, you'll, you'll watch for that. A few more interesting facts and, and, and we'll get moving on. Um, the filming for this actually only took 64 days. Just over two months was all of the filming. But post-production lasted 68 weeks. So well over a year to, to post-produce this film. Um, you'll see throughout, if you haven't seen the, some of the marketing for it, these skin-tight suits that everyone wears while they're inside the computer world. Uh, each one was electrified and was custom designed for each individual actor that was wearing them. Um, while they're on the grid, they're, they're lit, and all of those lights are actually circuitry that's built into the, the suits and stuff. And uh, apparently, from what I read, that... Most of the electronics that's in that was completely unreliable and constantly breaking down. And the batteries only lasted 12 minutes. And so they would have to literally be ready to go, shove the batteries in, jump on set, do a scene. And on top of the fact that there was faulty wiring all the time and stuff, so it was, you know, you'd think things would go smoother for, like, you know, especially like a Disney film. But anyway, Mickey does make an appearance in this film. Look for him when Sam, the son, when Sam takes out a security camera. You'll see him. You should see his outline there. So, let's go ahead and watch Tron Legacy. What'd you think? Who saw it for the first time right now? So, I'm not gonna keep it very long. It'll be uh, shorter than Aaron probably ever will be at this part right here. Um, While Tron 82 clearly fathered many, many ideas for uh, films down the road like The Matrix, the TV show Caprica, Avatar, even the TV show Lost were all influenced and many others by um, the work they did here uh, in 82, um, excuse me. Um, it's really not, it's not fair to be blind to the fact that even the first Tron uh, draws from other creators of other content like George Orwell, Mary Shelley, even CS Lewis influenced um, the, the writing for the first one. Um, with all the technology and the geek fun, Tron Legacy takes, takes, a, takes a deeper turn when you start to look at some of the underlying themes uh, of faith and religion, it's a little bit more complex, uh, whether good, whether bad. Um, part of it's for us to decide, but it's definitely uh, more busy on the area of faith and religion. Um, inside the grid, we have the greatest of all creators, um, all of the creator, that is Kevin Flynn, all of his creations. The greatest one is is this this guy Clue, right? Yet Clue is the closest thing, really, we have to Satan when we parallel the story. Um, The greatest and most glorious of his creation, rebelling against his creator. Then he propels himself up as the liberator, the illuminator. If you remember, Zeus was describing him. The one who vanquished the tyranny of the user. Another quote from the film. Uh, Clue even repeats the same lie that Satan did to Eve in the garden. A selfish creator was keeping the knowledge of good and evil from his creation. He continues by explaining that his rebellion is really just. It's okay, ridding the grid of the false deity that sought to enslave us. Unlike our selfish creator who kept the world to himself, I will make his world open, available to us all. I can just hear Satan's words from Genesis 3.5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The analogies between the good guys and the bad guys really aren't perfect. They don't hold true all the way through. The saving characters are not really as perfect as our Christ. Sometimes they're the redeemer, and sometimes they're the one in need of redeeming. In one sense, we've got Kevin Flynn, the creator, describing Clue as having been made in his image, but then in a more Buddhist, Taoist, Buddhist way, uh, he later declares that he must that they got to remerge. He has to remerge with Clue in order to destroy him. It's kind of yin and yang, if if you ask me. And that's that's not Bible by any means. The incarnate son of the Creator, Sam, isn't really the Redeemer. That job is kind of more reserved for the mysterious deity-like character who somehow emerges out of nothing from creation, and she journeys even so far as to sacrifice herself for the salvation of everybody. But really, the, the role of Redeemer is kind of passed around more like a hot potato or even a baton. It doesn't really hold true in any one person. The spiritual parallels are totally numerous and plentiful. Uh, we can inspect each one. We can draw out of them little nuggets of doctrine and sound teaching. But in light of the whole package, we're faced with a more universalist view, a view that purports that all will be saved in time. In the end, we kind of walk away with uh, valuing ideals like sacrifice and others. The, the created cannot create perfect created things. We could spend months just on that, dwelling on that alone. Rebellion against authority ends in disgrace and failure, but can be redeemed. There's, there's lots of little nuggets in there. Our own rebellion against our Creator has us in a state of turmoil, and separation from our Creator in the real world here. As hard as we try, though, our own merits, we can't seem to fix our, our predicament. Our rebellion will be our end, and it will be the most extre- extreme form of disgrace. But our Redeemer is different. He doesn't pass the torch. He doesn't need something mysterious to come alongside Him redeem- and help Him redeem all of creation. He doesn't have His Father lay down His life for Him There's a little twist there, if you remember that from the film. No, he chooses to fix the problem. He chose to be that one and final work, that perfect effort that ends not in disgrace, but grace. And it's free. You don't have to work for it. Our Redeemer, God himself, offers us this redemption for free, accepting the gift, recognizing that God has chosen you to be his redeemed child. Now, as an heir to his kingdom, it moves you from the bound for destruction column, think about it in a computer programming, a little to the redeemed forever column. What will the creator say to you on the final day? Will he say, end of line? Or will he say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master? Let's pray. Father God, thanks for giving us an opportunity to uh, look at pop culture, see how some of your truth finds its way in there, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would help raise us to be people who are critical of what is cool and trendy around us. Help us to look for the truth while at the same time be cognizant of those things that are wrong. I pray, God, that we will uh, enjoy each other in fellowship and in community, that we can have fun being entertained, all the while knowing at the end of the day where to serve you. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless this time, uh, take us home safely. I praise you, God, for this busy weekend as we're all coming into. these things in Jesus' name, amen.